After a career in computer science, Andrea Beatty started writing children's books and is well known for her best-selling STEAM-themed picture books, now known as The Questionnaires. These include Iggy Peck, Architect, Rosie Revere, Engineer, Ada Twist, Scientist, and Sophia Valdez, Future Prez. The books are illustrated by David Roberts, and now they've worked together on a new addition to the series, Aaron Slater, Illustrator. They join me together in the reading corner to talk about their partnership and to give me the full picture on their latest creation. First of all, welcome, both of you. Thank you. Hello. And first of all, Andrea, I'd love to know whether when you first wrote Iggy Peck, did you have any idea just how popular the potential was for this series? No, absolutely no clue. It was kind of a quiet thing, but Iggy had this word of mouth where people told other people and more people and more people. So like every year, the book just sold a little more and a little more and a little more. And um, I'd written it for about my son who was who loved to build things. And so he kind of inspired it. He's not an architect, but, um, you know, he was the kid who built from anything he could find. And so I thought I wanted to write a book about passion, about a kid who was just passionate about building things. So that's where Iggy came from. And then the editor picked David for this, this series of books. And that was just like set my life on a whole new trajectory in the most delightful way. Because David drew this, this marvelous book and created this classroom of kids. And so for the next, I don't know, two, three years, the publisher really wanted to have more books about Iggy because he was building quite a following. And I just like, oh, you know, I've kind of done that book and I don't want to do the same book again. I mean, what does he build a house this time and a barn next time? And so finally, the editor and I kind of came to the idea, well, what about these other kids that David had drawn? And so I started studying them. And I noticed that there was a girl you never saw both of her eyes. Her bangs were swooping over one eye and it, that she ended up being rosy. But I wrote her because she's the smallest kid in the class and she sits there just trying to be invisible. And you could tell she's like, like, oh, don't call on me. And I thought, well, what's her story? What is, has she had an experience that's made her kind of buttoned down and what's, what's happening? And then I honestly, I made her an engineer because David just nailed the illustrations for Iggy so beautifully. I thought, okay, well, let's see what you do if she's uh, an engineer. And oh boy, took it to town. It was brilliant. So that's where Rosie came from. And then in the picture in Iggy Peck, where they're building the bridge, everyone's doing something. But one girl in that red and white polka dot dress is standing there tapping her chin off to the side. And I thought, now look at that kid. She's standing off to the side thinking and asking questions. So I thought, well, she's curious. That seems a very natural lean into being a scientist. So that was Ada. And then in Ada Twist, David drew the scene where all the kids are trying to figure out what's in the jar. And they all have something interesting in their jar, but Sophia doesn't have anything in that jar. And yet she's clutching onto it for dear life. And I thought, what's something you can't see that you want to hold dear and protect? And I thought, well, maybe it's a dream or a wish for somebody else. 
And so I started sort of thinking out a story for her. And then I noticed also that in Iggy Peck, when Ada's thinking and other people are picking up things, Sophia's back there eating the cookies. So I knew there had to be cookies involved with with us. And so I decided that she was a person who cared deeply about other people and was a helper, but also when push came to shove, maybe she wasn't very brave, but needed to be brave. And it was a time when I was having, was thinking a lot about being brave. What does that mean? We had a lot of political upheaval here in the States and it was a scary time for kids. And I thought, well, I wanted to tell kids that they can be brave because you can be brave, even though it's scary. And maybe especially because it's scary that you, but you have kids, you can do it. So that's where Sophia came from. Aaron Slater then came from looking at this beautiful boy. He wears the white t-shirt. He's the, the black boy who has jeans, a white t-shirt, but bright yellow socks. In Ada's book, he has flowers in that jar. And so I thought, okay, well, he's someone who loves beauty. And sort of about the same time, I was doing a lot of gardening. So flowers and beauty really was a big thing. It started during the pandemic. And I'm thinking everybody can really gain some some hope and some cheer and some, I don't know, some calm just through nature and through, through art. And all of those things are so important to us. So Aaron became an illustrator. And part of that was also due to David and I having lots of conversations over time and him telling me a bit about some of his struggles with reading. And I thought, well, you never see in Aaron, you never see him with things with words. So in Sofia Valdez, he has a sign. Everyone else has signs like, you know, make parks and more space for green, but he's, his just has a flower. And I thought, it's a perfect sign because it's like, what else is going on? And so always that's been the process of sort of looking at the clues David puts there and then mapping that to something I want to explore. There's a lot to pick up and say about that. But before I do, I just want to ask David, this is an unusual collaboration where your drawings are kind of sparking what comes next. That must be quite exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's um, immensely exciting thinking which character is going to speak to Andrea, who's it going to be next sort of thing? Because I don't know and I don't get involved. I don't sort of say to Andrea, can we can we do a story about this character or this character? So to have just started off with one book and in the text it just said 17 kids were in the class along with um, Iggy. And I had a lot of fun just coming up with that classroom of children, really. Um, that was an immense pleasure in, in just being able to total blank canvas of who they could be and then seeing them evolve into the characters that they're becoming is really lovely and one of the things that I thought about when I was doing that first book and kind of when I do any of my books I always think about the people in the background of the stories I don't sort of see them as extras in a film I see them as other cast members to the to the story and they're part of the main character's story and the main character is part of their story. So I give each character a story themselves. In my own head, I sort of imagine who they are and perhaps what they like and um, who their family is. But I never say that to Andrea. I just sort of try and put it into their character and then whichever one speaks 
the loudest <laughs> to Andrew then gets their story. Yeah. But although these children are all unique and have these unique talents, interests, passions, the thing that seems to run through all the stories for me is that it's not so much about coming to know who you are because they seem to know who they are quite early on. It's more to do with other people learning to accept them for who they yeah. are. Yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of an old trope in children's books. And I've had people say, you know, it's really important. The most important thing in a kid's book is that the kid learn a lesson and change through the, the story. And I'm just like, yeah, that doesn't happen to any of ours. They just <laughs> do their thing. And everyone else is just going to have to get on board because they're amazing. These kids are amazing. They don't need to change. They may learn a little something or find a little more gusto they didn't quite know they had, but they're innately there when they start the story. Mm. You know, the grown-ups can get with the program. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the other thing that I really like in them is the ensemble piece. So that although it is focusing on a child, all of these children in the class come together. They experience that main character's joy and get involved in some way. It's really celebratory and I love it. It's lovely to draw those connections, whether it's through facial expressions or whether they're actually physically connecting with each other in some way, like in Rosie Revere, where they're actually inventing stuff together. So they're all in little separate groups. One has invented sort of like a mobile disco and they're all dancing with each other. So it's that sort of thing. And also, I'm quite keen for every book, we return to the classroom, if we can, or in another situation where all those children are together with each other. So we revisit the group every time. So the whoever's reading the story, the child that's reading the story, will be able to recognise the different characters from the different books and, and point them out and, and have that connection from one book to another book to another. You know, it reminds me of the ideal, the ideal classroom is one in which we all learn from each other. Yeah. And in a way, it's a sort of mirror of you and Andrea working together as very different creatives. But each of you brings something and you create a whole that you couldn't do on your own. Definitely. I think that's what I hope comes through is that each kid realizes like what they can bring and and the other kids realize what they can sort of help with or or let somebody else be good at also it it really brings in community because none of these these stories take place in a vacuum and sometimes you know we get this really great look into the town and the other people there and david has just done this amazing job of sort of fleshing out this world this tiny bit by tiny bit and it's such a cool fun place but one of the things that happens too is early on in the books every book has kind of the same structure where we begin with the character as a baby or a very tiny kid and then we see them a little bit older and then we see them when they get to grade 2 uh so I always love the amount of backstory David sticks into these illustrations. Like for me, the story of, of Sofia Valdez, the backstory of her mom, who seems to have probably passed away, but you can tell the story through just the photographs on her wall and on her nightstand and the barrettes that she wears in her hair. 
When she's a baby, she has one barrette. She gets a little older, she has two barrettes. And then we see the picture of her mom who always wore the three barrettes. And that sort of detail that you never pointed out to me. And I have to, I literally, like all the readers have to dig through for <laughs> years. And I still find things from our earliest books. Kids will find those details because, you know, they're just like zoomed in. Oh, I yeah, think that's yeah. why it bears rereading and, and be able to, to sit and just live with those illustrations for forever. Tell us a little bit about Aaron Slater. Tell us what his trajectory is and then perhaps a little reading, Andrea, would be great. Sure. Um, so Aaron Slater is a little baby who's here with his um, beautiful family. And he's got what, one, two, three adopted siblings, two cats, one of whom wears a ruff, which just made me sing. I'm so <laughs> delighted by that. Oh my gosh, the details. Uh, and his two beautiful moms. And he's a very well-loved child who just lives to just hear the, the beautiful music of the words and the songs that his family share with him. Uh, and the thing he wants most as he grows a little older is to be able to create those kind of stories and to, to be able to write books because that's just to him the greatest of things. And then as he begins to try to learn to read and his moms try to help him read, he really struggles with it and he, he just can't get it. So he, he thinks maybe when he gets to school, he'll be able to do it, but he just can't kind of get it. And it turns out that he's dyslexic, um, though he doesn't know. We don't name that in the book, although in the back, back of the book, there's a really good note about the struggle that he's having. But the thing that, that he also, at the same time, is he has a bucket of chalk and he spends his days just creating flowers and beautiful illustrations of, you know, unicorns and dragons and all kinds of marvelous, fantastical stories that come out of him. And they, they just are come out of the, from his art. And so it's ultimately the tale of how this kid finds his own way to share the things he has to say. I was pleased to see that the teacher has learnt from the first book when she <laughs> kind of rejects Iggy's oh, <laughs> architecture. Oh, she seems to be in tune with Aaron. Yeah, I do have to confess, I, I sort of feel bad about that because I was very early in my process of a writing uh, career and I figured you needed to have some obstacles. And so I made the teacher the bad guy. And I actually, I think she gets some redemption in this book because what we learn is that she's just a really new teacher and a bit overwhelmed by yeah. everything. And that once she gets her footing though, she's, she is a great teacher. It's, it's such a hard job. I'm in awe of, of educators. Anyway, she's, she does good in this story. So yes. <laughs> would you read some to us, Andrea? I would be delighted. So this is Aaron Slater, illustrator, and this is how it begins. At the end of the garden, in the soft fading light, when the day turns to dusk and the dusk into night, the sweet scent of jasmine floats into the air to mix with the music of laughter and there. Aaron D. Slater soaks it all in with his flowery blanket tucked under his chin. Words drift like music, melodious, mild, a sweet summer song for a sweet summer child who drifts off to sleep as the cottonwoods sway at the end of the garden, at the end of the day. It's summer, then summer, and summer once more, and soon Aaron D. is a youngster of four. The jasmine climbs higher, the roses have grown, and Aaron himself has a spot of his own for seedlings and saplings beside the slate walk. 
which he illustrates daily with a bucket of chalk. We've rested on the page and here we have Aaron and it's one of those spreads where David's given us a developmental perspective. Tell us a little bit about this development here. It struck me that with this story in particular, there was room for me to kind of show how he was not just developing physically growing up, but also developing his skills as an artist, as as a young illustrator. Originally, I thought about having sort of separate vignettes across the page, but I just hit on this idea of like having this movement through time the way that the the rhyme was written about it's summer and then summer and summer once more and it just had this beautiful flow to it Mm -hmm. that I thought I could perhaps mirror that journey linking each illustration to the next so each one is purposely sort of overlapping the other one until we get to him at the age of four and we'll follow him from being a tiny little toddler just discovering paint and and putting handprints everywhere to then picking up a crayon and drawing a flower and then being a little bit older and actually focusing in on something and if you look really closely he's focused in on a little ladybird it's all about looking it's all about the visuals and also the other thing was about the floral blanket that he has I wanted to carry that throughout the whole story Andrea mentions a bit later in the story about him wearing this poppy red jacket. And I thought, this is the thing about Aaron is he's always expressed himself through his love of beauty and his love of colour and his love of flowers. And then when he gets to school, that sort of falls away because of his difficulties with reading. And we, you physically see the flowers fall off him. I thought he's losing a little bit of himself, a little bit of his joy. As you've mentioned this kind of visual clue, I'm just going to skip to um, the page where they're sitting in school. And you've got some children where the words are not actually on the page. And I'm reading into that that they are in some way also struggling. I don't know if that's true. Yes, it it was. What I wanted to do was I didn't want Aaron to be the only kid in the class who had a difficulty with reading because that's not representative of a real classroom. So I started off with how do I show Aaron's difficulty with reading? How can I actually show it? And one of the things with dyslexia, for some dyslexic people, the words sort of literally move about on the page when they're looking at it in front of them. And so I thought, well, let's just have it so that all the words have literally dropped off the page and he's he's looking at, he may as well be looking at an empty space because he can't, he can't connect with this writing. And then I thought, well, some of that would be happening around him as well. Uh, and for different children, maybe it's at different levels. Like one child, it might just be B's and D's that they mm. get. And then for another child, I think you can see that the mix numbers and letters together. And it was just this way of, I didn't want it to sort of look like he was the only one. Mm, love it. Andrea, I want to come back to you for a moment about your meter and, and your rhyme. It's different in every book. You're not following the same structure. So is this an earworm that gets inside? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, so I've always found that books come to me either in rhyme or in prose, and it doesn't work for me to try to change them. So a a rhyming book, 
it's pretty boring when I put it into prose and a, a prose book is never going to, it's never going to work as, as rhyme because it's more about music than it is about text. And so I hear this melody and it's very much like hearing someone singing a song in the next room. And I can kind of make out a tune. I can kind of make out a rhythm and occasionally I can make out a word. And the longer I listen, the more I, open the door and go in there and go, what is going on? <laughs> then I will finally get it. So that's kind of how it unfolds to me. Having said that, now that we're five books in, I did find with this book, I had to be a little careful because there were times when I would fall into a line. I'm like, oh, that is so good. Only to really found I'd done that before. So in fact, this book as a way to kind of uh, switch gears and and keep that from happening and to just really keep it fresh. And this is the first book that is in present tense. The others are all past tense. So that sort of changes the the reading and the the pace of it a bit. There's a point in this when he starts to read and he falters and the, yes. the rhythm is broken at that can point. I, can I read just that tiniest bit? That is my favorite part. Yeah. So so he stands there, we call the teacher calls his names. So he stares at his shoes and his sunflower socks. Then he closes his eyes and then young Aaron talks. Once, well, once there was a flower. No, wait, I know. Once there was a magical flower, which gave all who held it extraordinary power. And then this spread that David has done, which has Aaron just, he's literally floating up into the air, just the tiniest bit. He's got his, his eyes closed and he has wings, which are a throwback to Aaron Douglas's art because Aaron D. Slater is uh, the namesake of Aaron Douglas, the American painter. I know that um, mural, isn't it? When it's got the wings, mm-hmm. it did quite a lot of biblical subjects um, and putting the African-American experience into those yeah. uh, images so also with Rosie Revere, obviously we've got Rosie the Riveter, we all know from the posters. When did you decide that he, you were going to kind of name him after this artist? Well, one of the things that happens when I kind of have figured out who the kid is and what their realm is, then I, I start thinking just like who might be good to name. And I like when the names, they don't all, but I like when the names have a connection to some historical significant person who really did something in that field. And so I started, you know, looking at names of artists and, and particularly black artists. And uh, I've always loved his work and fascinated by the, the Harlem Renaissance, which was such an important era in American art and literature and everything. And so it just seemed a really natural fit for Aaron Douglas, but then Douglas doesn't rhyme with illustrator. (laughs) (laughs) A middle name comes to the rescue. <laughs> yes. Oh, that rhyme, man. I'll get you. Uh, Rosie Revere engineered because she got her name and great aunt Rose shows up because I was writing Rosie. I knew she was going to be an engineer. I think I, I at one point went to visit my aunt and she had been a Rosie the Riveter and she worked in a munitions plant in World War II. And just, she was in her nineties at that point. And just, I wanted to, to, do something to say thank you to all of the people who fought in that war and and who kept the home fires burning and who really saved the world from you know autocracy and fascism. 
Um, and so that's where Great Aunt Rose came in. And once she came into the story, it all just snapped in. So the names do have an impact on who the characters are and, and where it takes the story. And then I love, David, that you put that into the illustrations. When I know that the name is, is connected to a historical figure, like with um, Ada, for instance, it's Ada Lovelace. So there'll be little things in there that, that you can find find out about there's that. even a little book of ada lovelace isn't there and there was the um the date on the clock is the 13th of october which was ada lovelace day that year before we leave the illustration i have to ask about these posters these music obviously evelyn glennie the deaf percussionist yeah and it does bring me to a kind of cross-cultural point whether these references are necessarily understood in america whether they're kind of British references. I'm just interested. Some of them are British, but I will look them up immediately and find them. Then I'm just like, yeah. And honestly, I do think that of the two mums, I think one of them's British and one of them is American. And I have thoughts on that, that I will, before we do yeah. the novel and things, we'll discuss that. Cause I think, yeah. I think in a way it's cause in a way, and we've said this before, it's like David and I are co-parents and yeah. I know things and he knows things and they aren't always the same things. So I, I would really like to bring some of that into some of our chapter books. Yeah. Um, but, but people figure stuff out. If they're curious, they'll look it up. If people don't know, for instance, who Evelyn Glennie is, oh, why is there a poster of a lady called Evelyn Glennie playing the xylophone, whatever that percussion instrument is? They can Google her and then they'll find out that she is a deaf musician. And then they'll look at the little boy in the bed and notice his hearing aid. So it's a little story there that is there if you want to look for it, like with the with Bernie M poster. I mean, it was only a matter of time before I put a Bernie M poster in <laughs> one of my books because I'm a huge fan of Bernie M. But they have this song called Painter Man. Yeah. And one of the lyrics says, I went to college, studied art, to be an artist, make a start, studied hard for my degree, but no one seemed to notice me. And so those lyrics to that song just sort of spoke a little bit of Aaron's story as well, that he was sort of just blending in. That's brilliant. I have one more question sure. that I have got to ask you, and that's about inclusivity, which is so ingrained in these stories. Aaron's got two mothers. It's never mentioned. It's just a beautiful, warm family picture. But all through these books, there's this attention to being inclusive. I'm guessing that's really important to both of you. Yeah, I have to say, like, it's really marvelous because David always works just from the text. Like, I never put in notes about things like that. In a rhyming book, particularly, I don't have the space to add anything but what happens. So I never focus on really anything peripheral. I ju just have to say, what are they doing? And then David just turns this beautiful, makes everyone seen. And I love that so much about you and that, that that's important. After we'd done Iggy, and I didn't know there would be any more books after that, but by the time, that was in 2007, and then we did uh, Rosie in 2012, and it had really struck me by that point in my career how we can sort of default to certain family types within, within children's books. And what I decided was I was never going to do that if I had the opportunity not to. Um, so when it came to um, Rosie... There was no mention of her parents, for instance. There was just mention of her aunts and uncles. And I thought, so this is a, a type of family that we can explore 
that you might not necessarily see that often in a children's book, a, a child being brought up by their aunties and uncles. And then when it got to Sophia, there was an opportunity again to say, let's have this kid being brought up by her grandfather, just her and her grandfather, which then makes the moment where he is injured in the story even more poignant because of this really very, very close bond that they have with each other. So when it came to Aaron, I thought, well, I'm very, I'm a, as a gay person myself, I've realised how little opportunity I've had in my career to actually illustrate a queer family environment. It's often the book writes the parents in and there'll be a mother and a father. Andrea very rarely does that. So it's an open blank canvas to me. So I thought, okay, who's Aaron's family? And I thought, okay, so he's got adopted siblings and he's got two mums and they love music. And Andrew had written, the music of laughter is in the very, very first, on the very first page. And I thought, let's have them all loving music. And this is like a lovely common bond that they all have together as, as their family unit. Then the fun thing is going to be for me. Now then... I'm starting to turn my thoughts towards the chapter book because for for every character, we have a picture book, we have a project book, and then we'll also have a chapter book or more um, about the adventures that have all the kids, but they'll focus on this character particularly. So now I'm thinking, how's that music going to come in? What do they do with this music? Does the, do the other people in town get to enjoy it? And just, it's just so much fun. Can I just say it's been a, such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.